I'm a fun guy. <laughs> There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass, because that's 50% stupid. Yeah, oh, I I'd give a rat's about Twitter. I'm not going to, so quit asking. It's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us. Four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon as uh, it's time to break down everything you need to know in the world of sports. We look locally and play to break down and talk about. Charlie Bramers, our in-studio guest today. Uh, that's how you know it's Tuesday. Charlie, as always, man, thanks for being here. Good day for you, huh? Milwaukee Bucks 7-0. and oh, Fear the deer, man. Fantastic. What a, what a great time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. Mm-hmm. Although um, the Packers are a little bit of a letdown. That mm-hmm. game, obviously, on Sunday was. I'm sure you touched on it yesterday. So let's see what we can get done in this next hour. Well, hey, uh, Bucks 7-0, last unbeaten team in the NBA. They had another unbeaten last night with Toronto, who looked like the most complete team in the NBA up to this point. And they went into it without Giannis. Everything was stacked against Milwaukee to do it. And they put up 124 points. They beat them, get out to the best start since 72. I mean, you've watched this Bucks team. You know them inside and out. What do you like about this? I mean, there's a lot to like, but can you narrow it down? What have you? Make a short list. Seriously, Tanner, I could go on for an hour about that Bucks team. Ask my dad. Ask my buddy Chris. These uh, these poor people, uh, every time the Bucks play, and I start talking about it, or they might ask me, oh, hey, how are the Bucks going? They quickly regret asking me that because I just go on and on. Oh, they're number one in net rating. Oh, they're number one in block shots. Oh, they're number one in transition. Oh, they're number one in transition defense. Oh, they were scoring almost 15 points a game last year off of mid-range twos. Now they're only scoring a point and a half per game off of mid-range twos. Oh, the other day against... Uh, I believe it was the Pacers. They took 43-pointers, made 18 of them. It's just what they're doing, really what Coach Bud has done. You like to think, you know, what he's doing basically is what you hire. You bring in somebody to make those changes, to be able to, what can this new coach get out of the same core group of players? Obviously, they added Brooke Lopez. We've talked about their additions. Dante DiVincenzo, I think when it's all said and done, he's going to be a dark horse rookie of the year candidate. Un- he's not going to win it. Um, there, I, I When I read every week uh, NBA different NBA power rankings, um, oftentimes articles pop up. There's a lot of rookie power rankings they rate they rank the top 10 rookies you know in whatever particular order and i haven't seen divincenzo in a top 10 list yet but he'll be there um the other night against the magic he had his first 15 minutes on the floor he had six or seven rebounds a couple steals and 15 points in 15 minutes you know if a if an eight-year veteran could give you those numbers off the bench in 15 minutes you take it, much less a guy that's playing in his fifth NBA game. Um, obviously, last night I was a little disappointed that Kawhi Leonard didn't play. I thought the Bucks would have still beat Toronto even with Kawhi, um, especially if they obviously if they had Giannis. Um, a big thing with Milwaukee that I've noticed, um, they, they play a big lineup – they're starting Malcolm Brogdon right now. I like that 
with from the standpoint of it gives you more options off the bench and obviously that that their starting lineup has a great net rating and they're real positive defensively i think that's why malcolm's out there to start the game for his him and eric bledsoe in the backcourt is a very solid defensive backcourt um at least very tough they force a lot of turnovers um the main thing though is i like to see Giannis play the three i like to see him at small forward they're starting him at the five they're playing lopez or they're starting Giannis at the four rather playing lopez at the five but their first substitution usually is they sub out malcolm brogdon move chris middleton he'll play two guard play Giannis at the three and then Ursan bring in Ursan Ilyasova for Malcolm Brogdon, play him at the four. So then they got seven foot tall Brooke Lopez at center. They got six foot eleven Ursan Ilyasova at power forward. Then you know, however tall Giannis is, like they say seven feet six, eleven, seven feet, what's the difference? At the three. And then six foot eight Chris Middleton at the two guard. And then Eric Bledsoe at at point. And that group as a unit did not give up an offensive rebound their first three games that they were on the floor together. They did not give up an offensive rebound. This is a team that was the worst rebounding team in all of basketball last year, and now they have one of the top rebounding percentages. Just to make that kind of a tur- of a turnaround, you know, when a team is in the bottom third of the league, you always shoot for oh you know if the new coach can get him up into the top half you know that's 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 a wonderful improvement that coach is going to be a candidate for coach of the year and with what coach bud is able to do i love how he's handling the team they talk about guys being a player's coach i don't know if i've ever seen more of a basketball coach at least in milwaukee be such a player's coach um the other day john henson had a bit of a hiccup Coach Bud was, you know, he chewed him out uh, during the timeout. They didn't go to commercial. They they stayed uh, there, and, and you could see Coach Bud chewing out John Henson. And instead of taking him out of the game like Jason Kidd would have and lots of other coaches would have, they ran a play for him, and he comes right back and hits a three. And, and just the confidence he's instilling in this team. John Henson hit two threes against the Pacers, and the other day against the Magic he hit three. I had never seen him make a three-pointer his entire career. What's he been with the Bucks five, six years now? They are getting a lot out of guys that played uh, reserve roles, that played uh, role-maker spots for other teams, and Mike Budenholzer is bringing the best out of these guys. Malcolm Brogdon said after the game he instills confidence in them. Charlie Bramers, our guest in the studio today, by the way. Uh, 19 three-pointers last night against Toronto. Wow. At matches a franchise record, which they set four days ago against right. Minnesota. And then they hit 18, yeah, against mm-hmm. the Pacers. So their three-point shot looks like they can beat anybody in the NBA right now. When do they play Golden State? Because that's going to be so much fun, especially after what happened last night from the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. I, I would have to look at the schedule. Obviously, I believe they play them twice this year, uh, per usual. Um the funny thing is, you know, the other year when Golden State, what is it? They started off 27-0 or 23-0. Mm-hmm. The Bucks were the one that handed them their first off. They've always played Golden State tight to begin with. Um, their length gives – they're the one team that has the length to give Golden State shooters the fits on the outside. Um, they can get in some grills and affect some shots. 
the way they match up with Golden State, man, I really like their odds. There are some teams that play a little bit more physical that I would be more worried about, actually, than Golden State. Say, a healthy um, Boston Celtics team. Obviously, that's going to be a tough matchup for the Bucks. Um I really like their chances against Golden State, man. That's going to be a great game. And I believe when those two teams play, that will be number one and number two going head-to-head. Yeah, and that is actually closer than we think. I looked it up uh, while you were talking. Next Thursday, they're in the Bay Area visiting Golden State, and then the Warriors are in Milwaukee on December 7th. So we get both meetings before Christmas, then maybe a few next summer. And don't they play the Celtics next? I believe they do. They play the I've got it pulled up right here. They do play Boston. They're at Boston yep. on Thursday. And and when you look at their schedule, the Pacers were supposed to be a top team in the East. Mm-hmm. Celtics were obviously the, the Raptors. You look at these teams that they've beaten, uh, the Magic have been a bit of a surprise this year. Mm-hmm. Minnesota was supposed to be a force out in the West. Obviously, they've had some issues on and off the court. But these teams that they've beat, it's not like they're beating up on scrubs. They are beating some of the top teams in the game handily. I mean, they are imposing their will. And I've never seen the Bucks score 49 points in a quarter. I guess they've done it a couple times, but that was really the turning point for me when I saw them come out in that second quarter against the Wolves and score 49. I just, man, I, I, I couldn't contain myself. I was just yelling like a moron at my TV. I was just so happy. I can't wait to see the final score for that Warriors game here next week because after what they did last night, really what they've been doing through the course of uh, this run that of the dynasty that they're putting together, uh, it's amazing what they're capable of offensively. 92 points at halftime last night, and Boogie Cousins still hasn't taken the floor for them. Clay Thompson sets an NBA record with 14 three-pointers. It was just nuts what they've been doing. And you wonder, well, the the record for most points in a regulation NBA game is 173, and it's happened twice. You wonder if that might be achievable for either team when they meet up next weekend, or next Thursday, excuse me, in the Bay Area. With the pace, the game will certainly be going at. There's a good shot at it. Um, I would actually say the Bucks have a better chance at beating that than the Warriors because the Bucks are playing such good defense right now. The Warriors are going to have to be able to shoot over that length. I don't, and and they're the Warriors to beat the Bucks. They're going to have to not settle for mid-range twos, which the Warriors are one of the better mid-range uh, scoring offenses in the league, which is kind of funny. Um, usually, you know, the, they play, you would think that they would play more of with their outside shooters. They'd be, their statistics would match up more like the Rockets and the Bucks, but they're actually one of the more potent mid range offenses in the game. Um, and just analytically speaking, it tells you don't take those shots. Well, apparently you can win taking those shots. If you're the golden state warriors, that, that doesn't fit what the Bucks are trying to do. Um, but in, and like you said, as far as reserves, um, letting go of Jabari Parker, I was so torn up over that because it took so long for them to get Giannis and Jabari to get that talent in the draft and then to just let Jabari go. Well, with that money, what they've able to bring in, guys like Pat Connington, he's not getting enough minutes. They're having a hard time getting minutes. Thon Maker didn't score a bucket until I don't think he played until the fourth game of the year last night. I think he had 14 points and seven rebounds. He he filled in a lot for Giannis. Um, 
there are a lot of guys not getting enough minutes, but they all seem very content. They seem very happy where they're at right now, even these guys that aren't maybe getting the minutes that they would somewhere else. Um, there's quite the culture going on in Milwaukee right now. What a, what a turn of events it's been. Um, and and I know I, I kind of hate on Jason Kidd a lot. I, I, I liked him when he was the coach. Now that he's gone, I, I can see more of his flaws. But he did lay a wonderful foundation for this team as far as playing with grit, playing hard. Um, just he instilled a very positive attitude in these young players. You know, Giannis playing with that edge, obviously that comes from within him. But I believe Jason Kidd had a very – he played a big, crucial part in these guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Giannis, Thon Maker, playing with that edge. I think he had a big part in that, and I just don't want him to be a, be such a castaway. You know, I want to give him some credit too. Um, do you think he'll ever get another head coaching job somewhere? I think he's well-connected enough that he would find a way into the league. I bet, you know, Cleveland's looking for somebody right yeah, now. Maybe if he's willing to make a few changes. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly has the... Players love to play for him, mm-hmm. from what I've heard, you know, and he can be abrasive or whatever they say at times, but the guys still love him. Mm-hmm. Um, Giannis was, um, he said he was willing to hold out um, until Kid was offered his job back. Obviously, Kid said, no, you know, don't, don't be absurd. But that just goes to show a player like Giannis, who loves the game the way he does, was willing to hold out to, to get Jason Kidd his job back. So, yeah, that would be that would be interesting to see him in a place like Cleveland. Let me ask you this. When when you look at the Bucks and what they're doing right now, you talk about somebody like Jason Kidd. Obviously, tons of experience as a player, one of the best in the league when he was there, and he brings that to a coaching standpoint. When you look at this current Bucks roster, is there anybody that stands out to you that you think he's just got such a knowledge of the game, the guys respect him, he relates to his team so well. I could see this guy as being a future NBA head coach. Is there anybody on this current Bucks team that you could say that for right now? Well, yeah, there was last year it was Jason Terry, mm-hmm. and I was really hoping the Bucks would bring him back um, just to be that presence again this year. Um, I think they all grew the need for that. You know, a lot, young teams, a lot of times, they need that player on their roster to help him, to help them turn a corner. I think Jason Terry really helped them last year in that playoff series. Um, just his determination and his knowledge of the game. This year, um, there's a number of players. I think Matthew Delavadova, he seems like that type of a guy. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, mm-hmm. the president. They call him the president for a reason. Um, everybody speaks so highly of his basketball IQ. Uh, playing all four years in college, you know, that's almost unheard of anymore. A lot of times if a guy plays all four years in college, well, that's because he's not going to have much of an NBA career. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, speaking to Jason Kidd again, on touching on that, you know, acquiring him in the second round the way they did wasn't he the first second round drafted player ever to win rookie of the year mm-hmm. something like that um and now all of a sudden you know they were worried about his athleticism and his scoring ability in the nba well what's he shooting like 44 percent from three this year now all of a sudden he's just a fantastic three-point shooter um it, it probably that's probably 
has a lot to do with his work ethic, of course. Um, I was really hoping Giannis would be hitting some more outside shots. He's taking them. Um, he's not hitting them yet. But, hey, does he really need to be if Ursan, Lopez, Chris Middleton? I saw in, in a stretch of two games, I saw Chris Middleton get fouled on threes five times. That's 15, you know, 15 extra free throws. Obviously, Chris Middleton shooting 90% from th from the free throw line. Just There's just so many things that this scheme plays to advantages that, that you can get out of it. Some things you don't really think of. Well, you shoot more threes, you're going to get fouled on more threes. There's just so many things. You shoot more threes, you're going to get more offensive rebound opportunities. There's just so many things like this that one thing builds on another, and I'm just so astonished at how quickly this has turned around. And I was hoping Coach Bud would make an impact. I just I didn't think anything like this would really quite be possible at this point. It, it's kind of like the Brewers. Um, like they just all of a sudden somehow found a magic potion, just accelerated their rebuild. Charlie, I want to ask you this right before we go to break. We got about a minute and a half left. Uh, the Bucks right now are deep enough that they can get scores uh, up and down the board. They can go very deep into their bench. Uh, Ursan Yaisova, 19 points last night, filling in for Giannis. I mean, there is no replacing Giannis, but that's about as good as you can ask for. Yeah, Giannis, or Ursan and Thon Maker, like I said, I think he was 14-7 and seven last night. Um, Thon Maker has one of the best pure shots. I, I mean, he's seven foot two. You know, when when Giannis shoots a three, he's got decent form, but you can tell. You know, it, it's a little it's a little janky of a shot. You know, he's a little he's a little lanky. Um, it seems like he potentially, uh, ho however you want to put it, you know, the coordination. It's a little harder for these tall, skinny guys to to have the coordination, to have the touch from the outside. Thon Maker has such a pure shot from three. Once he can get a little bit more consistent playing time uh i think he's going to be one of the better stretch fives in the league and and like you said a lot of these guys him and pat connington and different guys man they're they're hardly getting enough playing time but when the, when they get out there man they sure do play hard and and obviously Giannis didn't play yesterday well then the two games before that he only played about three quarters total um he was hurt a lot of the game against the Magic, that's when he took the elbow to the face. And then the game prior, the Timberwolves, they were blowing him out. So a lot of the starters are getting rest, and it's allowing these reserves to get some quality playing time. And hopefully they can keep that up for a while because that's going to play big for them in February and March when they're trying to rest their starters for their playoff run. A very happy Charlie Bramer in studio with us. His Static. Milwaukee Bucks 7-0, and the last unbeaten team in the National Basketball Association this season. Coming up, the Packers with a costly fumble on Sunday that led to a loss. And oh, it, you just had to punch me in the stomach right there. We're going to break it all down. <laughs> That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bramer in studio today. Uh, NFL trade deadline is the big story right now. Uh, we dissect what the Packers could have done better on Sunday. But first, message from Ojibwe Casino. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winners of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casinos, Barriga, and Marquette. So we've got uh, play to dissect as far as pigskin once uh, you know you bring that up. Certainly. Um, big trades happening here in the last couple of hours. Broncos send Demarius Thomas to Houston, which is interesting. Thomas said, uh, you know, he's playing behind Emmanuel Sanders, and you can make the argument Sutton over there in, De- in Denver, and they put him on a surging Texans team. Then you have Golden Tate. Sent to the Eagles for that, a third-round pick. Yeah, that's the one that floored me. You just floored me when you told mm-hmm. me about that. I heard about the Demarius Thomas deal um, as I was driving here. I heard about that on ESPN Radio. Uh, I did not hear about the Golden Tate deal. Um, I know for Demarius Thomas, the Texans gave up a fourth-round pick. They got Demarius Thomas and a seventh. Mm-hmm. That's some good value for the Texans. That's a good. That's a very good trade for the Texans. The Lions got a third-round pick for Golden Tate. I was floored, like I said, when you told me they traded him. But then when you look at what they got, and I believe he was on a contract year either. I I believe this was the last year of his deal. If not this year, certainly next year. I guess the opportunity of a third-round pick and then not having to pay him because he was going to be looking for number one money, mm-hmm. and he's one of those guys that, yes, he's very productive, but is he worth that number one money when they're trying to pay guys like Matthew Stafford and build around him? I'm it, not sure there was a choice at that point. Yeah, if they weren't going to be able to pay him to be able to get that third-round pick for him, that's great value. But but like you said, weren't the Lions in win-now mode? They they just got Snacks Harrison from the Giants. You thought that they were going all in for win-now mode. So I wonder, you know, that trade was made just last week. Certainly. And yeah. now they're getting rid of their top wideout before the season ends. So what did Sunday's loss do to the Lions? Did losing to Pete Carroll ultimately derail their hopes for this season? Because they could very much still get a wild card spot. Oh, yeah, certainly. Well, they could very much still win the division if they mm-hmm. got hot. I mean, injuries, if they got hot. Um, obviously, the Vikings still have to be the favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I would I would hope the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, I, I know you said we were going to touch on that loss. They played the Rams very well. They did. Um, but, yeah, that, that trade the Lions did, obviously, you know, they have reason to be high on Kenny Galladay and, uh, you know, Marvin, Marvin Jones. Jones. Yeah. He's had some 200-yard receiving days, so he's got all the talent in the world. Mm-hmm. They they've still have guys with the capability to do it. it. It's just what a strange time for them to get rid of Golden Tate. Well, and I'll say this. They aren't a pass-heavy team. At least they're not as much as they used to be because they don't have to be anymore. They finally found some stability at running back with on Johnson. Yep, and this off season, um, Blake was happy with with the obviously to get on Johnson, but he had some other guys in mind. And I told him like, man, from what I've seen of him, that was a very solid pick. I was like, you're gonna like him, and he's like, well, he was more excited about the Legarrette Blunt signing. I said, no way, man. If 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 the Lions are gonna have a rushing attack this year, it's gonna be because of on Johnson, and that has certainly proven to be the case. Although Legarrette Blunt is still very solid, obviously in goal line situations and in the screen game, but I, I guess I, I I can't think of an answer. I mean, other than that's great value, a third round pick. Um, you know, the second third round is a great 
Uh, it's a great opportunity usually to pick up wide receivers in, in that value, that slot value. Um, and, and I guess they just weren't going to want to have to pay him that number one, that big money he was probably looking for. Let's look at the backers and what happened this week. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, with a chance to win the game at the end, never got to transpire because of a costly fumble on the kick return by Ty Montgomery. The report is that Montgomery was upset at the coaching staff that he wasn't getting more touches on the previous series. He disobeyed a direct order and decided to run the ball out, resulting in a fumble that ended up costing them the game. Montgomery denies all the reports. Uh, Mike McCarthy isn't he's not going to throw his guy under the bus. That's Certainly just the kind not. of coach he is. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we're ever going to find out the truth. But nonetheless, it's gotten to the point where a lot of Packers fans are calling for Ty Montgomery's head. A lot of Packers fans are doing that with McCarthy, too. And I know you don't think that way uh, with the rest of, or at least the majority of Packers fans. Do you feel the same way about Ty Montgomery as a majority of Packers fans? At this point in the season, if it was still September... I would say cut him. Um, at this point in the season, he's healthy. He's a guy that hasn't seen a lot of touches. He's their best pass-blocking uh, option in the backfield. They've been playing a lot of Lance Kendricks in the backfield. He's been playing a lot of fullback. I mean, obviously he's a tight end, but when you line him up in the backfield, isn't he essentially a fullback? Mm -hmm. um, Ty Montgomery, he, he's, got good, he's their best pass-catching option out of the backfield unless you're running, again, if you're running Kendricks. And, and it seems like that's who's taken a lot of his snaps is Lance Kendricks. I did not ex I would not expect something like this out of Ty Montgomery. The, the, you know, obviously, like you said, Montgomery's denying it. McCarthy's not going to throw his guys under the bus. But there was supposed anonymous source an anonymous player for the Packers. Don't you just hate that? Mm -hmm. Come on, guys, put your name to what you're saying here. You know, obviously we appreciate the the I, what the candidness. I don't know how to put it, but we appreciate that we have an opportunity to have this a look on the inside. But can't they put their name to it? Somebody on the Packers team said that Montgomery blatantly disregarded coach's orders how can you when a guy does that and costs you the game um i heard some some talk show guys saying maybe suspend him what 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 do you think they should do i think they need to hold on to him at this point in the year but what do you think i don't think montgomery is the long-term solution going forward one way or another this, I can very well see yeah. as being his last year in Green Bay. Unless he signs a minimum deal, yeah, this is the last year of his rookie deal. I mean, he's not the long-term answer. Regardless of what happens Sunday, he's not the franchise running back they're looking for, which makes me wonder who they could look at in the draft this season. I could very easily see them going after a running back early on, but they need to boost up that defense. The defense has to be better for them. Rodgers right now is getting it done. Well, he has been getting it done with basically no star wide receiver. And now they're starting to get a little more healthy, uh, starting to get some guys back. He doesn't have the core around him that he did early in his career back when they were Super Bowl champs. He doesn't have the defense that he does anymore either. So you got to find a way to boost that secondary and the run game, first and foremost. If you get a few receivers, you can find somebody, uh, you know, great. But those are the two main causes right now for the Packers because they're good enough to win right now with – 
you know, average middle of the road receivers. They're not good enough to overcome a bad secondary or a weak rushing attack. I I gotta say though, Jair Alexander had a big game. I like him a lot. He got but toasted he's one guy. a couple times. He got toasted a couple times. He had a big game. I think Kevin King has. You know, they say he's been playing a lot hurt. I think that's been really affecting him more than maybe more than what credit has been given. To, I don't, you know, I know I'm screwing that up. He's had a really bad shoulder. Mm-hmm. I've played football, a lot of football, with broken ribs, and you just can't move. And, and trying to defend a, a ball and trying to get physical, because he's a physical press corner, that's his game, trying to do that with a bum shoulder, ooh. That's that's going to be tough. He he broke up. He made a nice pass deflection with his length on Sunday. I really like Kevin King and Jair Alexander, and I think Josh Jackson is just going to need a little bit more time because mm-hmm. he's not quite as athletic as you'd like. Now, I'm from Iowa. I know what he can do. He's a ball hawk. Mm-hmm. He almost single-handedly beat the Badgers last year, and from that moment on, I was really hoping the Badger or the Packers would draft him. He was the highest-rated. Pro Football Focus had him the number one by far rated corner coming out out of the draft last year. So to be able to get him in the second round, this secondary is still young. Josh Jones was a second-round pick. Clinton Dix, is he going to get a big contract? Mm -hmm. What's he worth? And and talked about receivers. Obviously, Devontae Adams is a number one. They've got their number one. But then Randall Cobb, his deal is expiring. Mm -hmm. He's only 28 years old. Would he take a pay cut to stay in Green Bay? Would they even have to give him a pay cut? Because what are other teams going to offer him? I think he's a good enough receiver. He could, there'd be a lot of teams excited to have him right now. But you he, just saw what Houston did. They lost yeah. Will Fuller, so they want a guy like Demarius Thomas. But obviously there's going to be a lot of teams wanting Cobb, mm-hmm. but are they going to be willing to give him that number one or number two money? Cowboys. I, the, yeah, maybe the Cowboys, but but the Cowboys, you know, I they're going to obviously be sinking money into Amari Cooper, mm-hmm. and and Randall Cobb is best fitted as a slot receiver, and the Cowboys have one of the best slot receivers in the league already in Cole Beasley, and really, they're going to try and play Amari Cooper on the outside, but he plays best in the slot as well. Geronimo Allison is going to have to take a big step forward. I think they're going to be looking to add receiver. Like you were speaking on their 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 running back situation, they are always trying to get younger at running back. Mm-hmm. I love Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones is completely the future mm-hmm. in the backfield in Green Bay. I thought it was really kind of funny that they let Aaron Ripkowski go. I think they're missing him right now. Yeah, they are. I think they're time. missing a true fullback in that West Coast offense that can catch the ball out of the backfield. The only problem with Jones is he's just small. He's not the greatest. He he he's just he can't really provide much of a pass protection option in the backfield. Um, obviously, you know they've they've got options there. I really like Jones, uh, Williams. You know he's great, but Montgomery. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be his last year. They're gonna their main focus this year is going to be pass rush. They've got those two first-round draft picks. Mm-hmm. There are some – I watched Mississippi State's defense this last week. 
they've got some boys that can get after the quarterback. There's that guy from Penn State, defensive end. Mm-hmm. There are some big-time defensive ends that can either play – you know, like a Ziggy Ansah type end in a 4-3, or they could play stand-up outside linebacker, kind of like Nick Perry in a 3-4. So is that what you're doing if you're the GM? You're going after pass rush? If I'm the Packers GM, I'm I'm picking out which one of these pass rushers can win a one-on-one. Most of the – whichever one they think mm-hmm. gives them the best shot at winning one-on-ones or can potentially eat up blocks to free up guys like Perry – and I would be willing to trade because these first, these two first round draft picks, you know, they're gonna have the Saints' first round draft pick, probably mid to late twenties, and then their own first round draft pick. They could put those together in a in a trade package with maybe another third, a fourth. Mm-hmm. They could get a top five pick with with when it's all said and done with the value. I'd really like for them to put that together and get that impact defensive player, not just a late first round talent i'm talking a top five talent a miles garrett a jadavian Clowney type of guy coming out of college they need that impact defender to to step in and fill the shoes that have been vacated by you know like bj raji he was a number nine pick clay matthews a mid first round pick they really they need somebody to come in and and fill that void of Big-time playmaker on defense, uh, especially on the defensive line. We all thought it was going to be Mike Daniels. It seems like he, Mike Daniels is a great player, just not as good as we were hoping he was going to be. They need another great pass rusher. They need someone that can get after the quarterback, that can eat up a double team. They need an impact defender, and they've got the draft stock to do it. I'm hoping they put it together. Instead of just drafting these these mid-tier first-rounders trade up, combine it, and get one guy that's just, you know, that that generational-type, go-after-that-generational-type pass rusher. It's what they really need. That's what any 3-4 defense needs to succeed. That's the backbone of a 3-4 defense. Charlie Bramer in studio with us. And before we go to break, let's talk turkey for a moment. Thanksgiving is coming up, and that means turkey time. And Ojibwa Casino's got you covered. Just come in on November 4th and earn 50 same-day points to get a $25 supermarket gift card. You can get your very own turkey, the fixins, or whatever you're going to have for Turkey Day. Only at Ojibwa Casino, Barragan Marquette on Sunday, November 4th. Supplies are limited, so get there early. Coming up tonight, we will have the first edition of the college football rankings unveiled as far as who will be contending for a national championship come January. We preview that. All that and more after this on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Friday fog out, overtime rules, and fighting free agency. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. The second time around with an opponent on the gridiron isn't all that unusual in district play in the MHSAA football playoffs. Why do you think they're called districts anyway? But it was a very unusual evening in Copper Country Friday when an already soggy field, Calumet was hosting Ishpeming Westwood in a defensive knockdown dragout when in the second half, the field was enveloped by fog. 
Well, we got the fog rolling in. We just pulled a lead on a beautiful diving catch in the end zone, uh, the only score of the game. And it's right as the fog started rolling in, and from there it was it was a nip-and-tuck game. Uh, we had the big turnover on the 50-yard line. Hard to see what was going on. You know, I think uh, especially when plays went to the far sidelines, you're just kind of seeing who was celebrating to see uh, if it was a good play or not. Calumet coach John Crows thought the kids probably handled it better, and after the 6-0 win over the Patriots, a district final awaits on Saturday at Traverse City, St. Francis. Oh boy, are they good too as we watch film, and uh, just uh, outstanding, very powerful team. Uh, but we're really excited. We played them last year, so we got a taste of what they're all about and uh, realize uh, that it's, uh, it's quite, a, quite a task at hand here, but our kids and community are really fired up. If you want to watch that Friday fog out, you can view it for free now on the MHSAA.tv website. And those MHSAA-TV website game balls this week go out to Zach Mogg from Mount Pleasant, who ran for 181 yards and three touchdowns in a 35-6 football playoff win over Petoskey last Friday. And Ryan Ringler and Sage Serbenta of Cedar Springs, who combined for over 200 yards of rushing in Cedar Springs' 46-7 win over Gaylord. You can watch both of those games on demand right now on MHSAA-TV, as well as Friday's upcoming matchup between Cedar Springs and Mount Pleasant. That game starts at 7 o'clock. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Our weekly Be the Referee feature delves into the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. There are a few differences in high school football overtime compared to college games. During overtime in high school football, each team begins its offensive series, first and goal from the 10-yard line, as opposed to first and 10 at the 25. The only way a team can pick up a first down is on a roughing foul, roughing the passer, the holder, the center, or the kicker. A lost fumble or intercepted pass ends a team's offensive series or a try for an extra point following a touchdown. The defense cannot return the ball for a score. And unlike college football, there is never a requirement that a team go for a two-point conversion. What is common between the two levels is that each team gets one timeout per overtime and unused timeouts don't carry over from regulation or from overtimes. Thanks, Sam. You can be a referee. Go to the website now, mhsaa.com, to register. With the fall sports season winding down, there will be a number of parents looking for athletic greener pastures at another school for their student-athlete. And don't tell me otherwise, almost every transfer, especially over the coming weeks, is an athletically motivated transfer. A transfer set out the winter and spring, so what? The kid was just a volleyball or a football player anyway. We'll skirt the rules, mom and dad think. But because schools want this kind of free agency curtailed, such a transfer that would now take place could make that person ineligible in their chosen sport next fall. That's right. Transferring now for football reasons could keep you out of the game until 2020, unless you meet one of the exceptions to the rule, like picking up and moving into the new school district. And in the future, that option may be off the table as well for kids following a coach from one school to another and some other circumstances. 
So folks looking to practice high school free agency need to be more careful now and perhaps even more careful in the future. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSAA Network. Thanks for being with us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Our weekly message from the MHSAA, and while we were in break, a couple of blockbuster NFL trades have been confirmed, including the Green Bay Packers sending Ty Montgomery over to the Baltimore Ravens. So Ty Montgomery's time in Green Bay is indeed done. He is putting on a Ravens jersey. The Los Angeles Rams defensive line has gotten even scarier. They get pass rusher Dante Fowler from the Jacksonville Jaguars in exchange for a third and a fifth round draft pick. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bremer, who brings us a message from Ojibwe Casino. Once again, folks, the pigskin payday is back. Pick the winners of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casinos in Baraga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops once again joined by Mr. Charlie Bremer. College football playoff rankings come out tonight. It'll be the first edition of them. We take a look at where the locals are going to stack up. You've got obviously two of our big three colleges around here in Sparty and the Badgers very unlikely to be in the top 25 for the edition. Michigan, though, will make their case to be within the top four. Where do you like the Wolverines' chances at landing in the top four in that first ranking? Ooh, I, I think they're still going to be sitting at number five, okay. probably. Huh? Um, I got to send you some condolences, Tanner. Mm-hmm. Iowa took a tough one. They took a tough loss mm-hmm. last week. Well, that's okay. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Oh, I'm wearing my sweatshirt today. I know you are, but being from Iowa, man. That was... Iowa State won. There you go. Yeah, yeah I Texas like, Tech. I like the optimism there. Yeah. I, I actually did see parts of that game. But I just had to send some condolences your way because when when Northwestern beat Wisconsin, that really opened it up for Iowa. Yes, it did. And then about 20 minutes later, they lost. It was set in stone for them to, you know. But obviously going to Happy Valley is never easy. No. It was a tough game, and uh, shoot, that Big Ten West is just wide open as ever. You being being okay with the Iowa loss because you're a Notre Dame fan, mm-hmm. they'll certainly be in the top four yep. tonight. Um, I think there's a good chance that there's going to be a Notre Dame-Michigan rematch. There might be. That was a... That first game, Michigan's a different team from that first game. Certainly. They have got the offense flowing a lot better Obviously, they came into a very tough place to play, a lot of tradition at Notre Dame Stadium. I think that as long as Notre Dame stays unbeaten and they make it in at 12-0, and I don't think you can keep Michigan out, provided they win out and they win the Big Ten. I don't think there's a way you can keep them out. Certainly not, and this is always the time of year where we start to overlook that. Not only do they, you know, that's a huge advantage for Notre Dame. All they've got to do is win out. Michigan's got to win out and win that Big Ten championship game. That is a big and or if or however you want to put it. But the one thing Michigan's got going now that they haven't had for years is a quarterback with some confidence. Mm -hmm. And that is what they've needed. That is what they've lacked. And if he can keep building confidence with that team's defense, I really think this could be their year to overtake Ohio State. And obviously if they can get into that championship game, I I, w- I was still holding hope that the Badgers can pull an upset. You know, uh, Well, not with this third loss. There's a good chance they won't even get to that title game. 
Um, but I was hoping that with two losses, they could get into the title game, pull an upset on a team in the East, and still get a New Year's Day bowl game. Doesn't seem like that's possible anymore. Um, so really, the Big Ten championship game is not really going to be the Big Ten championship game, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen weeks beforehand. Well, I, I think whoever wins the East will win the Big Ten championship. Certainly. I don't know if that's going to be Ohio State, Michigan, what have you. But the worst thing that could happen for the Big Ten is a two-loss team wins uh, – wins the Big Ten East yeah. and gets into the championship and then wins that because then nobody's going to go. It doesn't matter uh, if you have your conference championship at 11-2, and two, you're just not going to get in. And Ohio Whoa. State, already with a bad loss to Purdue, they may not do it anyway. So I think Michigan is the best chance for the Big Ten to get somebody into the college football playoff. Didn't Ohio State already get in with two losses before? Not this season, though. I mean, this season is so tight. You don't you think look, so? I, I don't think that a two-loss team can get in this year. I, I don't know if they'd keep out the Big Ten champ with with two losses. I think It depends who else still has in. one loss. But you look at teams like whoever comes out of the SEC, they may put two one-loss SEC teams in before they put in one two-loss Big Ten team. I, That's the way the college football committee works. Whether you like it or not, SEC definitely gets the benefit of the doubt, should we say? They do, but the fact that a two-loss Ohio, a two, yeah, a two-loss Ohio State team has already got in the past, and and the SEC outside of Alabama, I mean, is this not a down year for no. the for the? It, I, I don't I don't know. They don't I mean, seem the mid the middle of the pack teams mm -hmm. don't seem as good as in years past. You don't think so? At, just just from my eye test and 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 from what i've heard mainly you know i to get a lot of my college football um i'm not a big fan of freddie and fitz mm -hmm. but those guys are huge college football guys and i try and go off of what they've been saying um i, I just i'm still sitting here thinking Man, that Big Ten championship winner, even with two losses, since it's happened before, if it hadn't happened before, I would say certainly there's no way it's going to happen this year. But since it's happened before, but then again, that loss to Purdue, man, yikes. That that could end up being what keeps them out, you know, especially how late in the year it was. They overcame the loss to, what was it, Virginia Tech the year they won the national championship. Yep. That came in like week two. That was early enough they could overcome that. I just don't know that. Uh, I'll give you that, though. I think you're right about the SEC. The middle-level teams certainly aren't the powers they used to. When you look at teams like the Mississippi schools, uh, yeah. Vanderbilt. Okay, I, I, I agree with you on that. But the top is so heavy this year for them. It's true. That LSU is good. Georgia is good. Florida, before losing last weekend, I think a lot of people thought they deserve to be in the top 10. And then Kentucky is having a good year. Yep. Where did this come from? They win on Saturday. They're in the SEC championship. Wow. And, of course, Alabama's doing their thing. Yep. Clemson, they went out. They'll get a spot. But that's the other thing is when you look at the Power Fives, ACC is one of the weaker Power Fives. If Clemson loses at all, then they're not going to make it, even with one loss, because who's that loss going to come yeah. to? There's they're, no they're not, good yeah. team in the ACC. They're not going to lose at all. I mean, didn't... They pounded Florida State this mm -hmm. last week. I mean, Florida State's at an all-time low now. Worst loss in school history. Yep. And 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 touching on the SEC, the middle-of-the-pack SEC teams being weak this year, it's the same thing for the Big Ten. 
you know, these mm-hmm. teams. Obviously, Iowa was ranked 18th, but now they got a second loss. Um, the Badgers, you know, they're a top team in the West, but mm-hmm. really they're a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. They're not as strong. Um, and I, I, I just – it pains me to say that because, man, this – I really thought this was the year for the Badgers. But if if Taylor doesn't go to the NFL this year um, – Obviously, they'll have a, a really good chance at next year again. But if they didn't do it this year, how are they going to do it next year, really? Last thing before we uh, go to break. You look at Sparty and the Badgers. Neither of them are going to be in the top 25 tonight when the rankings come out, or at least uh, so we think. Ouch. But what is the best possible bowl game that each of them could hope for, provided they take care of business, win out this year? Badgers, well, they've got the one bad loss to BYU. But... Sparty's got two bad losses. What's the best outlook for them this year? I really would say, man, I, that loss to BYU, I don't think that's as bad of a loss as everybody. You don't think so? Weeks leading up to that game, mm-hmm. I was saying, I'm worried about that BYU game. Before the season started, I said, Blake, I'm worried about that BYU game. Um, the fellas I was doing the show with the week before you got here, I that was the week they lost to BYU. I'm like, guys, I'm worried. No, don't be worried about BYU. And then they go and lose that. So they lost to BYU, Northwestern, and Michigan. I think that BYU loss isn't any worse than the Northwestern loss. Mm. But does that really help? Mm-hmm. Nah. And if they could do something crazy, like still win the West and then win the Big Ten championship game, they could still potentially, with three losses, could they be, you know, like last year they got the Orange Bowl with two mm-hmm. losses. Could they get something similar mm-hmm. if they pulled off something crazy like that? Potentially. I don't know. For Michigan State Wisconsin, you're probably looking at Outback Bowl, Capital One Bowl, Music City Bowl, you know, those types, that type of thing, which is solid bowls, all mm-hmm. of them. Um, I just hope that the Badgers can win whatever bowl they go to, keep this streak alive. I will say this before we go to break. I believe that the top four tonight in this order will be. I was just going to ask you, who do you think you who do you who's your four? I'm going Alabama number one. Yep. Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan. I think the Wolverines will be in at number four simply because their loss, their you know they get in over one loss LSU. Their loss came to a team that is in the playoff picture right now. You just convinced me. Mm-hmm. I I th- that that sounds like a. That sounds like the top four right now. With Ohio State's loss to to Purdue, Michigan is now the Michigan's now the top team in the Big Ten, so they're in at they're in at four. You're, you're yeah, that's yeah. solid. LSU's loss came to solid. Florida, who it was not in the rankings yeah. at the time, no, and isn't going to be tonight. No, so, or at least in the top four. So that's why. Well, we'll make a lot of fans happy, and uh, we'll hope the committee makes them happy tonight, later. I I think you're spot on with that. I think that's exactly who the four is going to be. We've got Charlie Bramer in studio with us. We'll come back and finish this thing off after this on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bramer, who once again has got your Ojibwe Casino message. Ladies and gentlemen, for the last time today, the Pigskin Payday is back. 
Head to the casino to pick each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casinos, Barriga, and Marquette. I have to trip myself up on that at least one time a week, don't I? Did fine. You're an old <laughs> pro with this. All right, so we have covered plenty here in the first uh, three segments of the show. Finishing this thing off, we'll talk about baseball. Only 106 days until pitchers and catchers report. We're counting down. Yep. And the Brewers and Tigers are looking already ahead to 2019. Tigers, of course, been looking ahead to 2019 for a long time. Brewers, magical run, came to an end, one game shy of the World Series. So. Are the Tigers already looking to 2020? Probably. <laughs> probably. I don't know if I should Wanted say that, ask you but that. Yeah, probably. Probably. So they've made a few moves actually yesterday. Yep. Uh, a few free agents went out on the market. Francisco Lariano, yeah. uh, you know, can't say I'm totally surprised by that. Jared Saltalamacchia, not a big surprise either. Victor Martinez, we all knew that was coming. Jose Iglesias surprised me a little bit. I thought he had value for this team after the rebuild was over, mm -hmm. uh, being young enough. Obviously, he's just a star defender. Um, if he could keep his bat anywhere near average, I thought he had a great chance to provide, uh, to be a solid middle infielder for this team after the rebuild was over. But they do... That has been a serious, serious uh, point of emphasis for the Tigers has been adding middle infield depth. So they're feeling deep in the, in the minors in the middle infield. So obviously they thought they could let him go. So you have Miguel Cabrera surrounded by a lot of guys he probably still doesn't know their names yet. Yeah, they're, yep. he's getting, and he's getting up there in age is the thing. He's going to want to go somewhere he can win. Does does he leave Detroit here before his career ends? I mean, can you see it happening? Well, he's got to have his obviously his ten and five trade clause. Um, yeah, does he approve a trade? Is there a team willing to take on his deal? How much would the Tigers be willing mm -hmm. to pay? I think the Tigers would have to be willing to fork up money for a significant chunk of the remainder of his contract if they expect to get any decent prospects back now if they're willing to give him up for some rookie level prospects um some rookie ball guys uh then potentially they could get out of that contract but in order for him to move it would have to be to a yeah like you said a team that he's willing to go to that he accepts he approves a trade to, and then also the Tigers will be have have to be willing to pay a significant part of it, portion of his remaining contract. Well, first and foremost, if the Tigers are really looking at rebuilding and centering around young guys, I would think keeping Iglesias and maybe shopping Miggy would make the most sense because, for one thing, Iglesias is younger. Uh, I believe that he still has a ceiling to reach. He's still got potential that he hasn't. Uh, certainly touched on yet certainly miggy as he gets older is having a tough time staying healthy he can still uh, contribute to a ball club certainly and you imagine next year around the trade deadline there's going to be some contending team that would love to have a power hitting first baseman like him well and that's another you know is he going to be limited is his are his trade options or the tigers trade options for him going to be limited to american league teams you know is that would there be a National League team willing to play him at first? Uh, yikes. That's up that I, I can't answer that question. Mm -hmm. I really can't. Um, obviously, when the Tigers moved him from third to first, you know, he was a solid first baseman for a long time. Um, if he could stay healthy, 
there's probably teams that would play him at first in the National League, but his bat would certainly have to support that. You know, and, and right now it I guess, you know, with his averages remain high, I mm-hmm. guess it's just if his power could come back, mm-hmm. you know. You wonder where the Tigers might look next season as far as a realistic win-loss total. Right now, unless they have some moves to be made, especially in the starting pitching rotation, it doesn't look good for them. I mean, they're going to probably lose another 90 games with the roster that they have right now. They have to make some moves this offseason. I mean, they do. They've Right now, they're centered around... Miguel Cabrera, who's good if he's healthy, yep. and Nick Castellanos. I mean, that's kind of what they're looking at right now. They're going to be fourth in the American League Central unless they do something. Chicago did a great job rebuilding. They've got a great young group of talent. There's uh, one of Chicago's uh, star outfielders, Alex Call, went to went to high school with them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, can can the Tigers accelerate their rebuild? Like like the White Sox, like the Brewers, they've got some older players on some bad contracts. I think it's more crucial for them to move Castellanos than Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Castellanos out in the outfield—that's bad. That is That's bad. But bad. what what would the return be for Castellanos? Certainly not what it would be for Cabrera, despite him being older and less healthy. I think they could get a solid return if he think comes so? out. You know, they keep him for this year if he can come out see that's the thing with him he's 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 as cold as the weather mm-hmm. usually or as hot as the weather he's one of those guys um he's never played well in cold weather when he was playing downstate um in double a he or was it single a anyways he's i think he was playing for the white caps in in april and may man he even in the minors he started out cold so is it better for them to try and move him this off season with looking at last year's statistics, or would it be better for them to hold on to him? Hopefully, he comes out in spring, has a hot spring, gets off, has a is batting three twenty through April and May with ten homers. Could he do that, or is he going to come out and be batting two twenty with two homers? Because like we like I said, he's usually as cold as the weather. His defense isn't going to get him any trades. Or no, no one's going to look at him for that. That's going to be another thing. Is it? Is he going to be limited to a an American League team for trade purposes? And you know, we we talked about the Brewers a little bit during the break. Like I said, their roster is predicated on who are they going to bring up? Um, what are they going to do at second base? They have. Are they going to trade Jonathan Scope? They could put a package together of guys like Jonathan Scope to maybe make a deal with another contending team. For I would really like to see them make a move at catcher. I love Manny Pena. I love Manny Pena, but they need some more offense at catcher. I don't think Stephen Vogt is a viable option for backup catcher. I think they're going to bring him in for spring training and give him a shot. He couldn't throw anybody out three years ago. Um, they like to be able to platoon his bat. I was really surprised JT Realmuto didn't get moved last mm-hmm. year. Could you imagine JT Realmuto in a Brewers uniform? Come up with the Elitch last season. Oh, my goodness. And if they could put a package together, you know, guys like Jonathan Scope is young enough where the rebuilding Marlins team 
he could have value to them. Um, could they put together a package of Jacob Nottingham, uh, Jacob Nottingham, Jonathan Scope? Who, who knows what they could put together? I know they've got the assets, but are they going to pull the trigger on a deal? Another, they're going to bring in some starting pitchers for competition. I would, I would be surprised if they bring in a top of the line guy, mm-hmm. um, a guy. I would be really surprised if they're going to, if they sign anybody, you know, a, a fifteen twenty million dollar a year guy. Um, I think they're just going to bring in guys to to compete like they did last year, and they're going to save salary cap space for to re-sign players that are already on their roster. So we've, uh, we're starting to wind down. Only got about a minute left, but I want to throw this at you. I do think that they need to bring in at least a true number one pitcher. It seemed like this year they were piecing together kind of a bullpen game from time to time. I think they need a little more consistency in the starting rotation. So what you were talking about, they were had so much depth. They were overstocked as far as position players, talented ones too. You put together a package of guys like Scope, maybe Eric Thames, who wasn't even on the playoff roster. And could you part with those guys for a top-of-the-line pitcher? They certainly could. I don't think they're going to, though, because everybody, Jimmy Nelson's coming back. Mm-hmm. And he is a 200-strikeout-a-year guy, 200 innings. He's going to be back and ready to go. There was talk that he was potentially going to be able to come back in September. So he'll be more than healed. He'll have all of the off season to prepare. Corbin Burns is going to be their ace. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Nelson, Corbin Burns, are are they a true number one? Not yet. They have that potential. But if you're throwing out really, really good number twos in Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, there's Adrian Hauser is a big right-hander, throws 96-97 with a hard changeup, or a great changeup in a hard curve. They're, I think they're going to have a rotation yeah, they're not going to have uh, an ace like a Clayton Kershaw, so to speak. You know, he's how much of an ace is he anymore? But they're going to have their their two through four, or their one through four. It's just going to be all twos in in Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Brandon Woodruff, Jimmy Nelson. Then they still got guys like Chase Anderson. There is a lot of solid innings to be had in that Brewers rotation, and. Like I said, I think their roster is pretty well constructed. They're going to make some moves. They're going to move some veterans like you like you spoke on, but their roster for the most part is there. It's just what's going to shake out in spring training. Kind of like to see Chichin become the number one. Yeah, and they got Ulysse Chassin. And is, is he a number one, though? He's a, he's, a, he's a solid three. He had a great year this year, He's though. a solid three. He, he might have been their best pitcher at the end of the year. Their oh, true certainly, starter, though. Certainly. And and through his first 20 starts this year, I think they were 15-5 and five, mm-hmm. uh, when he took the ball. So he wins them games. And and you look at the stats, yeah, does he have the stuff of an, of an ace? Not really, but if you're going 15-5 and five through his first 20 starts, I guess that makes him an ace, huh? We've got Charlie Bramer in studio with us covering everything around the Milwaukee, Detroit, Green Bay sports scene. Charlie, as always, man, thanks for being here. Looking forward to next week. Yeah, looking forward to next week, and we're going to have a great Packers victory to talk about. (laughs) Rodgers over Brady. I'm, I'm already so excited to talk about that. That's Charlie Bramer. I'm Tanner Hoops. That's it for the Sports Pen. We are back on with you tomorrow right here on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app.